Welcome everyone to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and foster care. Today, we're going to be talking about homeschooling kids on top of everything else during the coronavirus isolation. But before we get started, please do us a favor. I would really appreciate it if you would pop over to iTunes and give us a rating. We read everyone, I promise you we do. In fact, we share them amongst our team here at Creating the Family. And this is one that was just circulated throughout our team. It's from Nadine and it's titled, The Absolute Best Resource on Adoption. She gave us five stars. Thank you, Nadine. Uh, And this is what she wrote. Can't even begin to say how much this podcast has taught me when going through the adoption process. A must listen for sure. Seriously, thank you, Nadine, from the bottom of my heart. And I also say that really from our whole team. All right. Many parents are uh, stressed out right now. And I am about academics and schooling. I am so pleased to welcome today Heather Forbes. She is a licensed clinical social worker, the author of the best-selling book, Beyond Consequences, Logic and Control, a love-based approach to helping attachment challenge children with severe behaviors. She is the founder of Beyond Consequence Institute and the author of numerous books, including her newest release, which I think it's just coming out and it's called Classroom 180, a framework for creating, sustaining, and assessing the trauma-informed classroom. She consults and lectures extensively with both general and special education schools around the nation. And by the way, the website for the new book is classroom180.com. Welcome, Heather. Thank you so much to, for joining us today to talk about uh, this topic, which is you are uniquely qualified to talk about. <laughs> well, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So many parents, let's be honest, are stressed because they feel the burden of trying to keep their kids caught up with school during this time of isolation. And on top of all that, they have worries about trying to work at home or having lost their job. They have financial concerns, heaven help us, don't even look at what the stock market's doing, and general concerns over the health of of not only themselves, their children, their parents, their sisters, or anybody. It's a lot. We're all dealing with a lot. So we're here to help. Um, I think the first question would be how to balance it all, how to balance expectations with what's realistic in our lives at, at this particular time, as well as our personalities, our temperaments, and let's be honest, our patients. You know, I think that when you say all those things that we're going through, that just the list gets you dysregulated and gets you stressed out. <laughs> it does. Um, so I think that, and I know that this is true, that the number one resource we have is ourselves. For you to be able to give to your family, to give to your children, to give to all these stressors and all these variables, it's going to take a lot on your part as a parent, your mindset and your heart. So I say the number one piece to be able to focus on is you. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, that's selfish. No, it is not selfish. It is actually vital. You cannot give what you have not received. If you are worn down, if you are tired, if you are resistant, well, guess what? That is going to set the stage for how your family is going to unfold. Now, I'm not saying you can just walk out your door and go to a spa. No, that's not possible. But there are, <laughs> there are things that you can do. And when you hold yourself as the, the, in the light that you need and the love that you need first, 
you will find that all the demands that your children are making on you, and they can be extensive, especially our children who have been traumatized. This is an extremely hard time for them. They're getting triggered. They are uh, at their brink. They're at their windows of tolerances. That this is even more important for us to slow down and be able to take care of ourselves in the midst of all that as well. And I would throw in there that uh, it's not. There's nothing wrong with indulging in some in some some of the snacks you bought in your pre-apocalyptic uh, shopping trip, but uh, eating relatively healthy and, and the most important, making certain that you prioritize your sleep, uh, which may mean that you have to do things differently and you know, that you've got to, that is just too darn important. So that's not being selfish, that's just being smart. Uh, let's talk about the importance of a routine. I know we're talking about education and we are going to be getting into homeschooling, uh, but just in general, let's talk about the importance of setting up a routine right now for our family, for ourselves and for our kids. I think that's perfect. And that goes right back to what I just said about ourselves, because if we have a routine, we won't let the night slide away, which it can easily do. And when that way we'll get to bed on time, we'll you know, be able to wake up on time. But let's talk about a little bit about why that is important, why routine is so important. Our children have been through experiences where uh, they've, a lot of our kids have lived in chaos and the reminder of when things are not structured is going to trigger them to think that something bad is gonna happen if they know what's gonna happen next. And I know a lot of parents are listening to that because you know your kids are gonna say, what's happening next, what's happening next, what's happening? And you tell them what's happening next and they still ask you, well, what's happening after that? And the reason that they're doing that is because they are scared. They are scared about something bad happening. And it may not be just because of this whole coronavirus, but that's just the mentality that they typically live in. And of course, it's just heightened right now. So having that routine, and I don't mean just thinking about the routine. I want you to put up a poster board with the routine. And again, our resources are a little spark. So maybe it's just taking that brown paper bag that you have, cutting it up and making a poster out of it and writing down what the daily routine is going to be. Go over it the night before, that morning go over it again and stick to the routine as much as you can. The reason I say to do visual is because our children, as we know, a lot of them have a lot of auditory processing issues. And so when you make it visual, it's something they can see. It also makes it real. It makes it concrete. And so a lot of our children are very black and white in their thinking because you might say one thing, but to them talk is cheap. You put it on an absolute poster board with a Sharpie marker and it's gonna happen. I, don't, I will tell you, a lot of kids will hold you to that schedule as well. So be prepared yeah. for that as well. And refer back to the schedule. Yes. When the kids say, what's next? So let's go over to the refrigerator and see where or wherever you have it posted. Let's take a look and, and use pictures, if even if they're yes. just stick figures, um, and you if your I mean, children are not uh, reading. And I want to add to that. Have them participate in developing the schedule. Yes. We'll get more buy-in. Obviously, you are in charge. You have to set the absolute what happens, but get them to be a part of it. Okay. Now let's move to uh, the $64 million question, and that is schooling. Um, we're going to, uh, uh, in the second part uh, of the show, we're going to be talking, taking questions, uh, reading questions that have been submitted, and we have quite a few that have been submitted. Uh, but let's start off with just some general guidelines for how much time should you be spending on in the schedule you're creating on academics, on school. And, and obviously that's gonna depend on the age of the child. So let's say preschool K through first grade, about how much time would you suggest should be spent on 
school? You know, this is a hard question because there are some children who, even with their trauma backgrounds, they love school. They find it validating. They find, oh, I can do this. I'm, but some children can't stand it because the work that is being asked of them is challenging. And when children are challenged, a lot of times it helps, it, it reignites that negative belief system that says that they're stupid, that they're not okay. And so I have a hard time with actually giving a, 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 a time frame. What I want you to do is recognize your own children. What is their time frame? Now, the educators may be asking you to spend two hours, two hours on this and two hours on that, whatever their breakdown is. Mm -hmm. And I think parents, you all know your children best. And so think about how much of a tolerance they have. If it's math and they struggle with math, do not set two hours aside. That might be two minutes, while even though the educator is asking for 30 minutes. So as much as I talk about routine and being able to set with it, I want you to first start with being flexible and recognizing how much can your child tolerate? What is their window of tolerance? And so as I say that, I, I, I feel the negative and the resistance around that a little bit because our kids are being asked to do work and and as parents you all are being asked to make sure they get that work done mm -hmm. but i'm saying be a little more free with it because you know what they may not be able to do it i the minute that there is resistance the minute there there is a pencil being broken or a uh you know a, a curse word coming out or a paper being thrown you know what the lesson is over I want us to be able to make sure that learning is fun. Learning is something that our children can embrace and can engage in. So um, I guess with this also, I want us to recognize that you know, most schools are going to be out until the end of the school year. Listen, we also have summer. If you take the pace at half the pace, you still got the rest of the summer. I'd rather have two hours of work that is loving and fun, engaged, rather than four hours of work that is a fight and a struggle and tantrums. Mm -hmm. Okay. So know your kid and also know your, know the realities of your life. Mm -hmm. If uh, you are a single parent working from home with two kids who both have learning challenges, then that's just the reality of your life and you're not going to get as much done. And so what? Just, you know, the, they're not going to, the school is not going to fire you as a teacher. And if they do, you might say, thank goodness. Yes, please fire me. Uh, this is not my job. So uh, take into account the realities of your life. So let's just touch very briefly on what some of the challenges parents might face um, stepping into the role of teacher and, and now that the schools have shut down. And I will, I will throw one out, I'll start us, and that is one that we have heard a lot about, and that is power struggles, where the child doesn't recognize you. I'm not asking us, we're going to talk more specifically when we start addressing questions, but let's just address some right now of the challenges parents are facing. So power struggles is one. Uh, what, have, what are some of the others that you're seeing? You know, I think that kids, they don't want to do bring this work at home. A lot of our children know that when they go to school, they, they do the work. When they come home, they do something else, they relax. And so now seeing that the conversion of both of these in one environment is very challenging. And I think that the power struggle piece is also a consideration of now the parent has to be in dual roles, the role of a teacher and the role of a parent. And for a lot of our children, that just doesn't work. The combination doesn't work. And so um, can I just elaborate a little bit on that? Sure, and why please. that's so challenging is because when a child goes to school and they have a teacher, 
there is no risk, right? As far as that teacher loving them forever, that teacher seeing, you know, judging them. There's that risk in the classroom, but they know that they're going to have a new teacher next year. Oh, well, if they don't get along, so what? But with a parent, this is a relationship that's a lifetime, or as with all of our foster children, it's all they have right now. And so the risk is really high. And to say that if I, the child, can't get this problem right, then my mom or my dad, they're not going to love me. They're not going to like me. They're going to kick me out. And so all of a sudden now you have security looped in with academics. And that's why you will see the anger flare up and the resistance flare up because you now have combined relationship with academics with, and that this is too much. It's too challenging. And I think that's why one of the reasons I say back off, you know what, if that relationship is being compromised due to the academics, guess what? Stop, reconnect, build relationship, and then maybe jump back in once you have a little bit of time to settle. I think that's such good advice. All right, now let's hit some tips for homeschooling our kids during the coronavirus. Let's give people something they can quick at the beginning that they can be thinking about. Um, we, I'll start the first one we've really already mentioned, and that is establish a daily routine that includes time for academics, but define academics broadly. Absolutely. And be, be creative. You know what? This is a time for all of us to step back and kind of slow down and redo and rethink. And so instead of doing that worksheet of math problems, how about you go into the closet and you clean out the closet and you count the number of shoes and if you have you know, 10 pairs of shoes and you take away three pairs of shoes, how many pairs of shoes do you have? I want us to be able to just use our daily life rather than saying, okay, now this is school time, sit down, we gotta go and learn. Because it doesn't work that way with our children, especially right now. How can you incorporate the learning with being able to uh, build connection? What are the things you can join with? So, I, you know, at the top of my head, I would tell you, I'm, I'm out of this, I homeschooled my children 20 years ago. <laughs> so some of these are not coming straight to me, but what the basic premise is this, because every family is gonna be different, every solution is gonna be different. The basic premise is, how do I create some learning around our family activities? How can we use what we have in the resources of our home and still have fun? You know, Don, that's mm -hmm. the piece that's missing. We're, mm -hmm. We've lost the fun, the loss, the joy. And that's very easy to do in a time like this, but you mm -hmm. can capture it. And so I think just step back. You know, we're told so many resources on the internet. YouTube is filled with them. Uh, have your children do their... I have your children create a YouTube uh, channel on how to do their homework, right? What, what can you do that is different that would put them in a, in a different light rather than they are demanded and commanded and required to do something? Step back, create, have fun, bring the joy back. Well, that ties directly into our second tip, which is to relax expectations and give yourself some grace. Um, focusing which repeating what you just said attachment and connection is more important than the academics so utilize this time mm -hmm. to make that your focus and take the pressure off of yourself to keep them up in school and i will address that as well because i you know when i did homeschool my children i had to do that and that was really hard for me i come from a family of educators like my grandmother was a teacher my mom to teach I have twin sisters as a teacher like Education in my family was number one. It was all about what college you graduate from, right? 
So with that like big load, I had to say, oh, don't worry about today, we're good. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it, it went against my biology to stop <laughs> the academics. And so I know that there are gonna be families out there that feel that. And I, I will just say, I feel your pain, but I also wanna give you the hope that when you are able to step back and be able to de-stress, our children's brains are gonna be able to learn the material in a different way. They're gonna be able to retain the information. We have to slow down. So I just wanna put that out there as, a, as an empathetic heart to say, I feel your pain, but also let it go. I totally agree with you, let it go. You will be able to come back to it. I've seen this time and time and again with other children, with my own children, I will say both my children are 26 years old, they're both college graduates, and there was a time I absolutely stopped every part of academics in kindergarten, first and second grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I said this last week, but whether your children get into Harvard is really not gonna make, this next couple of uh, months will have no bearing on that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, Harvard or, uh, or, the, or the, even the community college down the street. Um, our third tip, is if possible, set up a space to do schoolwork and it can remain undisturbed. Um, I realize that that is not always possible, but if your child is working on something uh, so that they don't have to reset up every time, uh, it might make it easier and less face less resistance. So having a space if you can. And the last tip well, is- can I, can I just add to that as well? Sure, please. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes we think it has to be a desk with a chair. No, it doesn't. It can be very flexible. I don't care if it's underneath your dining room table with a cushion and a blanket, and that's the space they use. Allow them to be comfortable. And I've always said, if they read the book standing on their head, then yay, right? So, uh, you know, just expand a little bit and maybe ask them, where, where do you want your space to do your work? And you know what? It will be, I guarantee it will be different than a desk and a chair because they want to be uh -huh. comfortable. Yeah, that's a really good point and, and get their buy-in as well. Um, and our last one, which is you've already stated it, is to de-emphasize worksheets and, and, and school books and focus on helping our kids love books and love learning and, and learning for the sake of satisfying curiosity. Uh, that, that if you take the focus off of the uh, actual books, uh, uh, workbooks or whatever, and, and focus on using this time to help our kids fall back in love with learning, it will be time well spent. I think that's a beautiful statement. Falling back into the love of learning. There's, our children have been so there's just so much resistance around it and that pains my heart. That's why so much of the work I do now is with educators is to help children be able to find that sense of curiosity again. I mean, I'm a lifetime learner and I want that for all of our children. So we have to be able to give it back to them. And our children are very experiential. Doing a worksheet isn't gonna work. And, and so maybe show them the worksheet and say, this is the content. How would you do it? If you were the teacher, how would you do it? Okay, let's create that. Let's go in the backyard. What can we do that is different? How can we create this in a different way? And so, um, again, be very kinesthetic, very hands-on, very, uh, you know, I, I know that a lot of parents are tired. They don't want a bunch of crafts and everything. That's just one more mess to clean up. Uh, but I do think that having a few more hands-on tools without going too extreme will benefit everyone in the family. I want to remind everyone that this show is underwritten by the Jockey Bean Family Foundation. 
post-permanency, post-adoption support programs are vital to helping preserve families. However, the availability of these programs is not always communicated clearly during the adoption process. Legal professionals, judges, and are essential to encouraging the use of these services. As permissible by law, and it's not always permissible, but judges, court clerks, and adoption agencies can order backpacks through the Jockey Bean family website to ship to the courthouse for adoption day. To find out how to get your free backpack, please visit jockeybeanfamily.com slash backpack program or just go to jockeybeanfamily.com and click on the word backpack. And if you're a parent listening to this, let your agency know about the availability of joining the backpack program. It's free to them. It's free to you. And uh, it's just a great resource. All right. We are talking with Heather Forbes uh, about surviving homeschooling our kids uh, during the corona shutdown. Uh, Heather is the, uh, is the author of many books, but including Beyond Consequences, Logic, and Control, as well as her newest book, Classroom 180, A Framework for Creating, Sustaining, and Assessing the Trauma-Informed Classroom. Well, when we let our audience know that we were going to be talking with you, we got lots of questions. So I'm just going to jump in with some of our questions. The first one is from Alexia. She says, how can I get through to my child? My daughter questions everything I say. If the teacher says it, it's okay. But when she hears it from me, then it's up for debate. We get her homework through the school platform and we read it together. But she seems not to understand that assignments come from the teacher and not from me. Major communications problems that make homework hours very frustrating for both of us. Thoughts on that one? You know, I, I feel the frustration here. And I think... Again, it's so important for us to be able to understand why. Let's always go back why. I always want to ask that question, what is driving this child's behavior? Why can this child do it for the teacher but not do it then for the parent? And I always go back to that risk factor is that the parent-child relationship is at risk. If that child has to do something, doesn't do it well, in her mind, She's saying, my mom's not going to love me. She's, I'm going to be uh, you know, rejected, abandoned. It's going to hit every rejection issue. And so we're combining relationship, a deep, solid relationship, or should be relationship, with academics. And so we, we have to separate the two. Our, our children are very visual. So you'll, you'll see that a lot of the answers I give are very visual answers. So first thing that comes to mind is take a picture of your daughter's teacher and print it out. And I know a lot of us don't have color printers, we don't have that luxury right now, but print it out on a black and white picture and put it right there where she's sitting and say, I want you to act like you're talking to your teacher. I'm gonna just step away. I'm just, you know, think of me as invisible. This is for your teacher. Again, I'm sure the parent has said this, but we haven't had the visual. And our children are all about the now, like you're here now, therefore you're the teacher. So by putting a picture of the teacher, it could at least start to make a little bit of shift here as well. And I, again, the, the dynamic is so much different. If the parent is feeling frustrated, here's the other thing that we have to all be able to step back. If the parent is frustrated and you're getting into these arguments, I want to say at that moment, just stop. I want the parent, instead of pushing and pushing and pushing and trying to convince this little girl that it's not about her being the, the teacher and all the dynamics, just stop and just say, you know, sweetheart, this is really hard. I love you. And you know what? We can't jump into these arguments because we're continuing the momentum 
and we're continuing the resistance. We have to stop the resistance somehow and be able to shift. And you can do that. There's all sorts of things. You say, you know what, right now, there's a lot of tension, a lot of frustration. We're both upset. How about we turn on your favorite music and we just dance? I love the idea of using something like that to break the pattern, to break the, the momentum as well. Great suggestions. Okay, we have two questions that are kind of similar. I'm going to read them both. One is from Melissa. She says, any good tips for helping kids in, a different, in, in age ranges, first grade through middle schoolers in our house? And then a similar question from Sam, how to handle and occupy many ages so that all can focus on school? We have a two-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, and 16-year-old. All are home constantly. Um, let's see, blah, blah, blah. 16-year-old is easily distracted and needs guidance, but complains that she cannot focus when at the table when I homeschool the younger kids. Uh, yet when sent to work independently in her room, rarely she accomplishes anything. All right, so uh, both Melissa and Sam are asking different var variations on the same question. So you've got uh, multiple age ranges and multiple involvement needs, uh, how much time it takes from a parent to help with it. How do you handle all those different age ranges? My ideal answer would be to say to do it at different times. Now, if you have a parent who is also trying to get their work done and all the other things that are required, but let's just talk about first as that as a solution. And we can add a few in if that's maybe not what's available. Is that maybe then the 16 year old, uh, maybe her task is to uh, be able to create something in the kitchen, right? To, whether that's a snack or a, a lunch or something to go research a, a new recipe, right? So send them on a task that they enjoy but that is still contributing to that household while then the parent can be able to work with the younger ages around that. And then when it's time for the parent to be able to help that 16 year old, maybe that's, you know, especially the two and three year old, maybe that's during nap time uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and the, just the quiet time, even our five and six year olds, they may not be taking naps, but certainly they need quiet time. And so that is the time that those children are uh, in their rooms or in the corner of the living room reading their books or coloring or something. And so I would make that very distinct. And you know what this would also, especially with, with this home where you have lots of little ones and a 16-year-old, that 16-year-old uh, needs more one-on-one -on -one time with that parent. And so if you were, were able to somehow design that, I think that you would see how that 16-year-old then would be able to do a little more work independently once they did get the attention of the parent. We tend to think that 16-year-olds are uh, totally independent. No, they're not. You know, even our, uh, you know, our typical kids who are 16, but especially our children who have that trauma, they are emotionally much younger. And not to forget that they also need that one-on-one -on -one time. Mm -hmm. Now, let's address it. Let's say that's not a possibility. Um, then you know what, I think it has to be, you know, because even a 16 year old is going to have a different bedtime than the two and three year old, right? And the five and six year old. So uh, I just think you have to split it up. One parent trying to navigate all these age ranges just isn't going to work. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and for Melissa, she's got all uh, elementary school uh, and some of those could be combined. She has uh, up through middle schoolers. Um, if it were me, I think I would with, if I were Sam, I would probably not worry about doing education 
other than just life for the two, three, five, and six-year-old, honestly. I would make education be reading a book. or uh, So while uh, you're engaging your younger children in, say, a book on tape, or uh, they have uh, uh, their YouTube's where authors are reading books. Yes. So letting those those four, uh, your two, three, five, and six-year-old, do something that is entertaining them, and call it education. Uh, and it is education; they're being read to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then work with your 16-year-old, and not expect the 16-year-old to have to be uh, competing uh, with the with the younger kids. And for the and, and the some variation that could be adapted for Melissa as well. Uh, she doesn't say how many kids she has. But uh, have the uh, the oldest work with the youngest, while uh, the, the middle schooler work with the first grader on the basics of reading, and then work with the two uh, third and fifth grader on uh, whatever their assignments are, and then switch off, and then work with the uh, the older child one on one, something along those lines. Yeah, and you know, I think what we also need to look at here is that. I have a little formula when I work with families and it's called 10, 20, 10. And it's 10 minutes in the morning with each child individually, 20 minutes uh, after school typically, or you know, the end of, in the middle of the day and 10 minutes in the evening with every single child individually. I think that our kids right now, especially need that individual time. And again, this is a formula that's ideal. It might need to go down to five, 10, five. Uh, it can be with, each of the parents, it can be just, you know, you, you piggyback with the parents. What does it take? Again, that's two parents, but if you have one parent, you just, you minimize the time. But we've got to be able to spend that quality time with our children. We're asking them to spend time doing their work. And we have to, I believe, balance that out with one-on-one time. And that time that we spend with them is their time to dictate what happens. And so that might mean that you're on the floor playing with, uh, with, with Barbie or, uh, you know, GI Joe. I'm, these are so old references, by the way. Um, so Barbie is, Barbie is still, <laughs> or Hot Wheels. Barbie so, and Avengers. There you go. Yeah. So, but you spend time doing what they want to do. Then your ability to ask them to do what is required for school at any level is going to be opened up just a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Uh, we received another question uh, talking about uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. She says that she has been struggling with ideas on how to get the wiggles out. It's been cold and rainy where she lives, and her child is really struggling with focus. You know, I think that there's so many things on YouTube to be able to help us out. One that I love is called Brain Gym. So just go to YouTube, type in Brain Gym. And what I love about this, it's very much designed to help children be able to regulate back through their brains is crossing the left and right hemispheres to be able to settle down their brains, but it's also being done through physical motion. And you can then incorporate this even with an academic lesson. I saw in one video one time a teacher, she was doing the brain gym cross crawl and counting by twos. So physically you're moving about but yet you're also then incorporating, you know, counting by twos. And again, whatever that lesson is, I'm sure you can be creative to create, to find a way to around that. So look on YouTube. I, this is hard. I mean, I'm in Colorado right now. And we're about to have some snow. So yeah, I get it. It's really hard in that cabin fever, especially with children who have so much energy, but push the couches back, create an environment where children can move around. 
and be able to then move the couches back later. That's just, again, that's movement, <laughs> moving things in and out. And don't be afraid to do that. We have to really adjust to how our homes are, are become the environment that works for our children. And don't be afraid to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, movement through the internet, through Brain Gym, especially if I'm number one recommendation. Okay, this is from Beth. She says, my kindergarten son adopted at age three from foster care is way behind his peers in school. And now this, the school has sent home worksheets and I've ordered a big book of worksheets. I am so afraid that he is going to fall even further behind. So I hear a lot of fear out of this parent and you know, rightfully so. But when a parent is in that type of fear, that is going to really be felt by that child. And as much as this is all about the intention of wanting to get this child caught up, what I feel is a lot of fear. And again, that's going to create resistance and the inability for this child to be able to be open to those worksheets. And let's talk about the worksheets. I think that worksheets are have their time and place, but especially right now, when we have the ability to do things a little bit differently. I, I want the worksheet to maybe put aside, look at the worksheets and again, think, how can I do this with more creative work? How can I do more hands-on? Not to make that like one more thing to do, but to ask yourself the question, how can we have fun with this? How can this just be a little bit different? I also wanna say this, is that this is actually an opportunity for us to put some of these requirements of school on pause even with the children that are behind. So let me explain that a little bit further. You know, the whole world right now is being asked to pause, to stop. And what we're seeing with the world is that, wow, you know, the pollution is going down, the environment is coming back. I read somewhere the dolphins are swimming in Italy again. Like, it is a pause for things to come back into alignment, for their, the balance to come back. And maybe this is exactly what this child needs, is to stop the momentum of not doing well, to reconnect, realign, allow your kids to take that pause also, and then move back into the academics and maybe some worksheets and some things. But I really want us to step back and say, we're taking a pause. Can we allow our children to take a pause? Maybe they're calling for a pause as well. If a child is further and further behind, that just says that the momentum is so strong. Let's stop the momentum. I think about it as this, this boulder that's rolling down a hill, and you hear this foster parent, you're trying to push that boulder back up the hill because they're further and further behind. What I want to say is let the boulder roll all the way down the hill until it stops. Then get on top of the boulder, pull out the worksheet then, but let the momentum subside. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I would think that also use this opportunity, and we said it to, before at the first part of the show, uh, to help our kids fall back in love with the idea of learning and help them love books. I mean, he may already love books, but even if he doesn't, it could be being read to, it could be looking at picture books, even though he's five, and you might think, gosh, he should be past that, or books on a topic he's interested in, even if he can't actually read them. Uh, just enjoy books and count that as as an academic and let him learn the basics of math by cooking with you or by you know counting the number of cracks in the sidewalk when you go for a walk or by whatever um, you could teach he's kindergarten so basics addition and subtraction just through every infractions even through everyday life 
and find out something he's interested in. Um, is he fascinated by trucks? Is he uh, obsessed with the Avengers? Find something he's interested in and help him learn how to learn more about it on his own. If our kids can learn how to learn, then they will be, as you said at the beginning, a lifelong learner. And that may be the greatest gift we can give our kids. And, you know, I love that about reading. I remember just talking to a mom whose child had so much resistance to reading and she finally just stopped trying to make him. And so she read to him. I mean, first and second grade, he still wasn't reading and she just kept reading to him every night, every day. By third grade, that child picked up a third grade book and was just reading it on his own. And so it's just fascinating to me how children do learn differently and that that relationship to be able to read with your children. I, one thing I loved when I did with my kids is I had a lot of resistance of reading with them. I would just read to, to them. Like I remember we, we read The Wizard of Oz and then we watched the movie. And then my kids loved it because they were like, well, that wasn't what was in the book. She didn't really have red shoes. She had silver shoes. And so I knew that they actually listened. They got the content. And so do things that can be fun like that and read to them. Uh, you know, you can also create things like puppet shows and, and act these things out. Uh, again, more kinesthetic learning. All right. Another question from Lauren. She said, Last week, I was loving all the ideas that people were posting for educational things you could do with your kids. This week, I'm just tired. Everything requires my time to implement or do or supervise. I'm lucky to still have a job and I want to keep it. So I'm working from home and cooking all of our meals. I have no time for myself and I'm trying to find time in the early morning and late night to work. How can we do it all? And what can they do by themselves when they are either too young to learn by themselves or too unfocused? You know, this is so true. I love that she says, I'm just tired. And you know what? I think we have to honor that. Yes, tired. Absolutely. She's juggling everything. So the expectations have to shift. And instead of cooking dinner, that is a home cooked meal, you know what? Throw in the frozen pizza and be done and be good with it. And, and not to require all these things that you may have been able to do in the past. And this is again, just temporary. If you want to have a pajama day, have a pajama day. And maybe instead of, if she's tired, you know, I'm not an advocate for TV, but let's do a movie day and we mm -hmm. make popcorn and we relax. And if you're tired, allow yourself time to recoup with your children. You're right. You're, you're not trying to be mom of the year, Lauren. This is, you are already an awesome mom and trying to do all the things that all the other moms and dads are doing can be exhausting. I think one of the things we have to stop doing is comparing. It's great to get on the internet, find ideas, but don't let that mm -hmm. make you feel like you're not up to speed. No, yep. you honor who you are, what your capabilities are, what you can do, and don't judge yourself, validate yourself around that. Mm -hmm. And don't, and realize that people are, what they're posting online is their highlight reel. It's not their everyday life. Right. Uh, so you didn't see them yelling at the kid right before they took the picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. The next one is from Mike. My 16 year old son has decided apparently to blow off the rest of the year. There are classes and assignments online, but he either refuses to attend or doesn't engage when attending. He has always hated school. And now he says that school has invaded his only safe place home. How hard should I push? What is my role and what is the school's role? I love this child. I love the fact that he has identified 
that school has invaded his only safe place. That is so telling. And I think that he is reflecting so many of the same feelings a lot of our children are. There is that separation between home and school, and that's a really important piece. So what to do now? I think that you honor this student, this child and you say, you know, you're absolutely right. It, this is an invasion. Let's pull together. Let's build our family first. Let's, let's create some more family activities. You're 16 years old and there's probably things that you want to do, probably not with me, but you're kind of stuck with me as your parent. I'll do them with you. You know, if you, if you sit down and you play that video game with them, again, not all day long, but uh, spend 30 minutes and you're finding out what's in his world what game he likes to play or on TikTok talk or on you know Snapchat or Instagram, go on and say, I don't know how to do this. Set up an account for me so I can get on and uh, you know, get into their world, have them show you, allow some space around that. And then to say, you know, we are going to have to get back to school and, but maybe we'll take a week off. And here's the other thing. If you're tired, if you need to just stop, take a week off and allow your families to come back to that balance. Again, we're asking the momentum of this virus to stop. The reason we are all being asked to stay home is we're being asked to get the momentum of this virus and this disease to stop. I think that that is a great analogy of what we have to do also while we're inside the home. We have to get that momentum of negativity to stop, and so that might mean taking a week off or two weeks off. And to say, but listen, after that, that two weeks, we are going to go back to school. So while we're doing these fun things in the house, I want you to think about how you can be able to come back to school and to be able to do it. It is going to have to happen. So you put that boundary in place. We are going to get back to school, but we're taking a two-week break, just like the world is taking a two-week pause. But you think about what's going to, what are your ideas of how to make that happen? And you know what? I think when you empower your children to be able to do that, give them a little bit of space to breathe recognize that he's absolutely right. The school has invaded his safe place. You validate, you recognize, you empower, but you set that boundary that says, okay, but in two weeks, and in fact, this is the calendar. Again, draw a calendar. You can't just go out and buy one right now. Draw a calendar and mark it. And you say, this is the day that we'll come back and do all this. You know, uh, during the holidays, we have those advent calendars. Now, when's the big day? I think we do the same thing. It's not an anxiety-provoking idea, but to say, okay, we're down to day five now. We're going to enjoy this day, and then we'll we'll come back around. Okay, yeah. Give them some power, and also give them some space. And uh, at some and point, boredom them. may kick in. Yeah, join, <laughs> right, exactly. But join them in their world. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Let me pause and tell everyone that this show is brought to you by the support of our partners. And these are agencies that believe in our mission. They believe in providing. Uh, engaging pre and post adoption resources, support and education and training for families. One such partner is Children's Connection. They're an adoption agency providing services for domestic infant adoption and embryo donation and adoption throughout the U.S. They also do home studies and post adoption support to families in Texas. And we have Vista Del Mar. They are a licensed nonprofit adoption agency with over 65 years of experience helping to create families. They offer home study only services as well as full service, full service infant adoption, uh, uh, international home studies and post adoption, foster to adopt programs, and you can find more information about them at vistadelmar.org.
All right, we are talking with Heather Forbes about how to educate our kids now that they are home with us, which in most places looks like it may be for the rest of the year. Uh, all right, we have one from Shay. I have a question from Shay. She says, I am really struggling with my adopted daughter with special needs to lower my expectations for her while trying to give her the structure and routine she desperately craves. How do I strike that balance? So when I read this, I, I hear this struggle about lowering expectations with a child with special needs. You know, I think that we have to recognize that our children do have some limitations and it's okay to lower them. I think that we, we, we tend to want our, our children, and, and again, Shay, I don't know if this is how you're feeling, but it just has a general piece. We tend to want our children to be able to be more capable than they are be able to do more things, to be like the kid next door. And we have to really step back and go, no, I adopted a child that does have some special needs. She is doing the best she can in these moments. And I can't, I can't put these expectations on her because as we all know, as adoptive parents, foster parents, if we put too high of an expectation, they will not only crumble, they will collapse. And so getting past that struggle and that recognition of understanding what are the abilities of your child. Stop comparing, stop thinking you want something different. And I, I, I hope that doesn't come off harsh. This is what I, I mean, I had to deal with it myself. And so making sure that I recognize where my children's abilities were and, and they were met by my reality as well is unconditional love is accepting okay this is who they are i can't make them someone different if we're constantly pushing and pushing to create something different than who our children are then we will stay in an absolute constant struggle so it is a balance of first recognizing what can she do what is she capable of and here's the other piece most of our children will be more capable when they are regulated when they are in balance when they are calm, when we reduce the stress, that's when we see children being able to rise above what we thought they could. So the number one priority here is going to be making sure that we de-stress, that we create balance, we come back into alignment. And then when we can do that, you will see that even if we lower those expectations, our kids will meet and exceed them. All right, here's one from Laura. She wants tips and strategies for tweens and teens who want to do their schoolwork independently, but don't have the executive functioning ability to manage their studies. First of all, I'd say, good, I'm glad that <laughs> you're lucky that you have a teen. I shouldn't say lucky when you're asking a question that doesn't make you feel good when somebody says, oh, that's nothing. But good, good for your tween and teen for wanting to work independently, because that's another problem. But that's not yours, so we will address yours. I think we look at what parts can they do independently and what parts can they not. Executive functioning is definitely something that they're having to catch up on. So what can you give them control over? And that might be something as simple as where do you want to do your work? You don't have to sit here at the kitchen counter to do it. Do you want to do it in your room? I'm going to be with you, <laughs> you know, but where do you want to do it? And, and so I think in a situation like this, even just stepping back from a broader perspective, all of us have had to manage what things do I have control over? What things do I not have control over? And so if you have a tween that wants that independence, decipher, okay, well, 
you know, maybe they do this on a, a blue piece of paper instead of the white piece of paper. Maybe they use the pink pen instead of the blue pen, right? Find the things you can give them choices that they can have that independence. So they feel that sense of empowerment, that sense of I'm choosing this on my own. And then be able to then as the adult go in and be able to help them with the executive functioning deficits that they are having. We've got to empower them to some level. And like you said, Don, that's something we want them to be independent. We want them to engage with that. And we can be able to pull back then on the things we have to when we're allowing the other things to be in their control. And here's a question from Tracy, who is facing a different problem. And that is uh, her child, who is a tween, is too wrapped up in school grades, really, uh, as her identity. And she goes way overboard on time spent doing schoolwork. Mm -hmm. And I assume she's talking about even now at school is home. She's she's still trying to um, uh, be the teacher's pet, you know, to over right. to overachieve. Right. Yes. Yeah, so that's where she gets her uh, what to do about that. Yeah, that's, where, yeah, that's her that's validation. Where she gets her, her validation is schoolwork. And right. so, yeah, she she needs that sense of I'm all right. I'm OK. I'm lovable. So we have to help her be able to find that internally. This is probably a great, great time to be able to shift that for her. I mean, it's it's kind of her drug, right? It's a positive one, but it's not something that will serve her. She's the type of child that will end up being the workaholic and not having fun in life. And so this is a great time to stop. And I think that through all my work, especially in the Help for Billy book, there's a chapter, chapter six, it's all about a child's belief system. And in that book, I talk a lot about how we build our children's sense of self, their self-identity, their self-esteem. And it can't be something that the parent does. The parent can't just say, oh, you're smart, you're awesome, you're dependable, and give them all these affirmations. From us as parents, that will never work, especially with a tween. And so we want to get them to be able to build their identity and to, I love affirmations. I think affirmations are basically like programming the mind to be able to love themselves. And so uh, there's a lot of work out there that you know, they can look up, you know, affirmations for, for children. Uh, Louise Hay has a lot of affirmations. I've got some in my book and talk about them how to build the sense of self with, and sometimes it can come through a story. And I don't think, I don't think I know one on the top of my head, but you know, most stories are in books are going to be about the main character who is trying to find validation and trying to find love It's probably pretty easy to find. So have a discussion about a book that maybe she has read and talk about her. So she, cause you don't want to address this point blank with that child. They're not going to listen, do it through a third party, like a character in a book and talk about, well, what are the things this, this child needs to know about themselves? How can they learn to be able to uh, build that sense of self? And so I think this is a great time to work on self-identity. When you say affirmation, give us an example of what you oh, mean by affirmation, affirmation. as far as like um, to be able to repeat in your head to say, I am beautiful. I am lovable. I am awesome. Go through the alphabet. Here's a great one for adjectives. Go through A through Z. A, I am awesome. B, I am brilliant. C, I am charismatic. D, I am dependable, right? So you can go through and find adjectives that are very self-building based off of the line of the alphabet. Okay. Positive self -talk. Yes. Because okay. I'm going to add to that. So many of our children, especially adopted, fostered, cared, um, 
their, their negative self-talk is so ingrained. They've had you know, biological parents and other adults in their lives point blank tell them, you're the problem, you're awful, you're horrible, or they've experienced situations where they became the one that decided, oh, well, my parents couldn't get their lives together. They must not love me. That means I'm not lovable. I'm the bad kid. It's my fault. So our children are walking around every single day with these negative, negative messages in their heads. And so I see this tween being able to feel better at school because she, she gets an A on the paper and she feels good. Well, that A only lasts a little bit. So she's got to get the next A and the next A and the next A. And so it's almost like they are addicted to trying to feel good. And they are because of having that negative message in your head feels pretty bad all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And our last question, I think, is going to be right down your alley. This is from Brian. He says, how do parents stay motivated, especially when we are trying to juggle work, housework, and our own sense of anxiety about the state of the world? And we don't get the lunch break, recess time, and prep periods that teachers have. I am beat. This is down my alley because I think <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> you know, this is my favorite work is working with parents and to help them sustain not just their sanity, but to find their way back to love and find their joy again. You know, I think we're just on this planet to have to find out what love is, to find what joy is. Uh, you know, joy is the absolute requirement for attachment, for relationships. So, Brian. I want you to step back, and I know you have all these stressors. Obviously, stay away from the news. I step step into the news, find out what's going on in the world, and then step out of it. That's the number one piece I think parents have to really recognize. Um, don't be oblivious to it. I think we do need to stay aware, but don't keep CNN on the background all day long. And then to find joy. Say, okay, well, what are the things in this household? Why do you have a family? Why did you create a family? What is that? Go back to some of the basics and realign, reestablish yourself to say, what is family about? Family is about fun. I talked about, you know, dancing and putting on music and uh, creating music if you have that ability, uh, singing songs, uh, going back to board games. And again, I know you've got work that is part of your requirement, but when we can pull back during those times that we aren't filled with our work, make sure that you are filling those moments with joy. And again, I've said this over and over in this, <laughs> this conversation, step back from the academics if you have to. And I, you know, I know there's gonna be some teachers listening to that and I hope you guys understand why we're saying that because stressing out about school is gonna make it worse when kids go back to school. And so step back, realign, find your joy, understand why you have a family to begin with, what were those idealistic thoughts you had before you even started this journey, go back to those. Uh, they're still real. They're still possible. And just take that deep breath and know that this too shall pass. And I do believe that when we come out of this as a society, as a world, as even our individual families, we will be stronger around that. It is in the face of adversity that we find our strength, we find our meaning, we find our ability to move to that next level of evolving and trust that. Just trust that we're going to get there. And uh, in, the, in, the, in the process to do that is going to be very important. You know, here's the other piece I want to add into that, just as a, a little technique. So if you have all these things to do, Brian, think about every time you go to do something, like, okay, now we're going to have lunch. Think about what do you want that lunch time to be like? Do you want it to be fun? Do you want it to be joyful? What do you want to gain out of it? 
Then when you're done with lunch, okay, I go back to work. Well, what do I want on my work? Okay, I want to have fun with my work. I want to be focused. I want to be able to get this one task done. Okay, what's the next thing you do? My point is that every segment of the day, I want you to be cognizant. I want you to be aware. I want you to stop and sort of pre-pave the way of what that next segment is going to be like. It's not always going to be like that, uh, you know, but we have to put the intention to it. We have to put the focus on it. We have to create that before we join it. Otherwise, we kind of get lost and swallowed up into this it's just stressful piece of this anxiety and all the things going on. Segment your day piece by piece and put a intention for every part of that day. You know what I have in my in my office here and in my home or all around my home are little post-it notes. And some of those just say, stop and breathe. Or there's a smiley face. Or there's a, a word that says, you know, segment right now. And they're reminders to me through my day to stop, take a pause, realign and then jump into the next segment good advice i'm sitting here thinking the only sticky note i have is one it's on my the inside of my uh the medicine cabinet when you open uh, the mirror in front of my sink and it says balance on one foot <laughs> I, apparently i decided that was something a year or so ago i needed to do well, i love it i've done it probably I've only done it three times, I'm sure, but I do see it and I go, oh yeah, and I pick up one foot and balance. Right, it, it stops the <laughs> negative momentum, gets you back to a place of balance. I love the foot because that means you have to be in balance. Uh, and then just the next yeah. stage. I would like to think that it actually was deeper and meant balance in life. I actually think it meant just balance on one oh. foot, but okay, I'm gonna go there with it. I'm gonna say that I was much deeper and I really yeah. meant balance. <laughs> the one foot part didn't matter. <laughs> Thank you so much, Heather Forbes. Heather is the author of Beyond Consequences, Logic and Control, and her newest book is Classroom 180. Let me remind everybody that the information given in this interview is general advice. To understand how it applies to your specific situation, you need to work with your adoption or foster care professional. Thank you for joining us today, everyone, and we will see you next week.